All right, Boz, I got to say it, man. We do have a good one today. I believe so, too. I really like it. And it's a bit of a left turn from what we had originally planned. So that's kind of exciting, too. You, you guys will get the raw and unfiltered opinion. Mm-hmm. We're, <laughs> the, the genesis of this show was basically, you know, as I've said before, we harvest some comments from the various platforms that mm-hmm. this show is posted on, be it YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, all the associated podcast platforms. There's some direct messages that come into BTWB, Instagram, the whole nine yards. And there was a question that had been asked in one form or another from a couple of different people that basically said, what does CrossFit do wrong? Like, let's, mm-hmm. let's hear that. And so we're going to give the devil its due and, and address that. And we're trying to figure out how, how to do that. Because it could go in so many different directions. And then we had a phone conversation this morning. We thought we had a plan, or we did have a plan. And then I make a, a, left, a left turn on you. <laughs> That's okay. I was, I was thinking in a different direction, but, but a left turn nonetheless also. Yes. So it's, uh, it worked out, and then as, what as I, it always does. What I did between our phone call and us clicking on the cameras right now is I just went on to my, my friend and yours, the internet, mm. and I type in something like, why is CrossFit stupid? What does CrossFit do wrong? <laughs> you know, why is CrossFit the devil? And what's going to, and I, yeah. and I harvested what seemed to be the recurring themes from um, blog posts, Reddit, uh, some articles that have been written in various publications, something, heaven forbid, a quote unquote celebrity trainer had to say. Mm. And I've got, I believe, nine just, just gems. And so, I'm sure you've heard these a lot because some of them are, have been around for quite some time. But ideally, you've probably dealt with them on a more sophisticated level at level ones and you know all of your stuff over the course of your time. Then maybe you can give some, some people hearing your words and your explanation. Of, I'm going to throw things in there as well. Mm-hmm. Might just help others articulate their thoughts better. So that's the goal. Yeah, that sounds great. And uh, we discussed a little bit ahead of time that we're going to attempt to play devil's advocate or steel man some of these arguments, you know, give them their best treatment. Because it's one thing to just, as you said, uh, be dismissive of somebody who's critical or, you know, just kind of come at it as a with a flippant answer that, oh, they clearly don't understand. Well, let's let's assume that they do. And let's assume that we're going to give them the best case for their argument and see what is still there at the end of the day. See, see if we can counter that as opposed to just the, uh, the eye rolling and the, the sarcasm. That's not going to help anybody. Sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, to be fair, most of these critiques, if that's what we want to call them, probably didn't pop out of thin air. It's sure. for whatever reason, somebody observed something that caught their attention, not in a good way. And, and I don't know if they observed it once or observed it in a repeated fashion till it mm-hmm. became stuck in their head enough to say that this is what CrossFit is now when I see it. Right. So here we go. Well, Con- actually, hold on. Oh, let, me, okay. <laughs> let me stop you there. That's an interesting question too. We're already off on a tangent. But if we think about that, I mean, man, the breadth of what CrossFit is today in 2022, we're still in 2022. This is recorded mm-hmm, right before right. the new year. And, um, you know, if you think about it, you have literally thousands of CrossFit affiliates around the world, thousands of people beyond that doing this in their own little small garage gyms, you know, high schools, colleges, etc. Um, just individuals that are on it. So 
the number is pretty staggering when you think about how many people are engaged with this thing, which is awesome. And so even just on its face, the claim this is what CrossFit is or represents is a hard one to get your arms around because there are so many people doing it in so many different ways with so many different applications and, and presumably so many uh, different expected outcomes. You're going to have some people that are training it just to do CrossFit. You're going to have other people that have a job that's physical that they want their fitness to spill over into. You have other people that are hoping to get some sort of sport transfer um, and, and any range between those. And so... Yeah, on its face, it's going to be very difficult to, uh, I think, narrow something down to this is what CrossFit is, period. And it's, anyway, it's one of those so things where you know that it, a little bit as well. Yeah, you know it when you see it. And it's also one of the interesting things, you know, kind of piggybacking on what you just said there is, and it's you may love or hate this, this could be another thing, which is a strength or a weakness, it's up to the individual. CrossFit is not a franchise. It is, mm-hmm. it's an, it's right. an affiliate. So you have a tremendous amount of personal freedom to take yep. something which was already not rock salt. I mean, you can mold it and, and form it and, 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 you know, make it what you want. And now you have the freedom to really do that in your business within the four walls of your gym in any way, shape or form, which is why you could go to three CrossFit gyms in the same city and get three different expressions, three very different experiences, mm-hmm. the whole nine yards. And so that, it's not like when you walk into Starbucks and everything is, right. you've got to go by the manual. And if you don't go by the manual, yeah. you're going to lose your franchise and you're gone. Um, there's there's benefits and there's drawbacks to that, you know? And so that's all going to be wrapped into this. Okay, number one, CrossFit encourages sloppy form. Oh, the old, 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 old critique. This one's been around for a long time. And I think that the if we're going to give the merit that it's due, I think it's a fair critique if you're looking at some of these movements um, that are a little bit more complex than maybe sitting there on a Nautilus machine or doing a hammer curl on a, on a you know, preacher bench or whatever. Um, when you get fatigued and when you see these movements in combination with others, the technique will degrade to some degree. Now, how much is allowed to degrade? Uh, what the experience of the athlete is? Who's coaching and supervising and, and monitoring that degradation? Those are all big factors. Where that athlete is in their um, journey from you know rank beginner to somebody who's a lot more experienced, these are all factors. And so I think it really behooves somebody with that critique to take a look at what population are you talking about specifically? Because if we take a look at somebody like a CrossFit Games athlete in competition, well, they're going to be doing whatever is required in the moment to try to get across that finish line a little bit sooner. And for many of them, their technique is going to hold up really well, despite that demand. But there's others that are going to be in some circumstances where they're like, it's out the window. I'm just going to keep going. It doesn't really matter what my technique is. And you see that at the highest level of many sports, powerlifting, Olympic lifting, um, strongman. Uh, indeed, many, many team sports as well. The technique that scores the goal might not be textbook, but it was what was required in the moment. And you can't look at that in an isolated sense and say, hey, look, these guys have terrible sloppy technique. Um, you know, somebody like a Rich Froning is a great example of somebody whose fundamentals are incredible 
and he can apply them at the highest level very, very, very well. But are you going to find occasions where those are out the window because of the demands of competition? Yes. On the other end of that, are you going to be able to find a beginner who doesn't have the movement pattern totally known to them yet, and they're struggling through some techniques and it doesn't look great? That's going to be a huge, huge, huge part of learning. And if you if you don't allow that to happen, if you don't allow somebody to look a little bit rough around the edges for a while, you're never going to get to the point that they truly develop any competence in what they're doing. And so you can't fear that. And same thing, if you're looking at that day one athlete or that week one athlete, and you're saying, look at what they're being allowed to get away with, you're going to see some things that you know, don't hold over when you think about the long-term progression of that athlete. Now, all that to say... Here's here's what the pushback and something like that might be playing devil's advocate, right? Yep. Is, sure, there's, you know, the rich fronings in the world, but that's such a a rare anomaly that maybe it's it's not a fair comparison. They're out there without without question. And the other thing might be, you know, if you say something like uh, an individual learning has to be rough around the edges for a while because... How do you not have them rough around, be rough around the edges and, until they improve? Well, it's not rough around the edges um, learning a second language. This is rough around the edges right. with some yeah. weight in their hands, with moving their their body in a particular thing. Like how in the world could you allow somebody to be rough around the edges in the environment of strength and conditioning? It's a great question. And I would say there's a couple of different approaches to that. Approach number one is that intensity matters. And so that's a big one that's discussed all the time. Um, If you have somebody who's a a coach that's really invested in what they're doing, it's always going to follow that mechanics first, consistency with the movement, consistency with working out itself second, and then we start to ratchet up the intensity. So, you know, if the critique is, hey, this person shouldn't be exposed to these extreme loads or reps or or, um, timeframes, before they're ready, I would say the answer is, yeah, you're right. They shouldn't be. You need to mm-hmm. ratchet that up slowly and and under a really, really, you know, well-supervised uh, eye, whether that's the coach or the individual kind of taking stock of themselves, videoing themselves or, or whatever. Um, that slow approach is going to be the case. Now, if the argument is somebody should never be out of position and somebody should, you know, it's, it's just so physically uh, reprehensible <laughs> that I, I'm never in a, uh, a compromised position, I'm going to say, I think you need to reassess what your belief in the human body is. Because most of us, when we're learning something new, we're not going to be in the ideal or optimal position for a long, long time. And again, you can't get there without kind of navigating those waters in a less than efficient way. And um, people aren't that delicate. It's, it's not going to be this make or break type of situation when the intensity is done to an appropriate level. And that's, I think, the real key there. And that's probably what's a lot harder to see when somebody looks at a snapshot of a, a training session that they don't like. They see, okay, this guy's out of position. He's obviously tired. His form's breaking down. Where's the coach? Well, that's a great critique, but you might not know where that coach was last week or where that athlete was last week, where they are now, you know, what that trajectory looks like. Um, and so it can be hard to, uh, to make a hard case on that if you're only viewing that one snapshot that you don't like. And it could be the case that they're being pushed too far too soon. I mean, I think that's a misapplication oh, sure. uh, Thanks, yeah. of the method. 
And I think that that's the big, uh, the major job of the coach is to be that shepherd through that process to make sure that it is done appropriately. I'm in, uh, I'm writing some things down here to hit you with. And yeah. I'm, I'm almost immediately just thinking there's just no way we're going to get through all these topics in less than <laughs> no, like that's okay. four hours, which is fun, which is fun. It, well, let, even, me, let me go back to a little bit of CrossFit theory, though, while, while you're thinking that through is, hey, look, you know, most of these movements have such a natural carryover to real life um, that you will be exposed to them whether you like it or not. You know, through the course of a day, you're going to have to get up out of your seat. You're going to have to move around a physical world and interact with physical things. You're going to have to pick something up off the ground. You're going to have to run at some point. You know, you're going to have to do real life movements. And so if your only exposure to them is in a completely untrained way, in a completely deconditioned way, that's a pretty dangerous way to go about your life. Fumbling your way through some of these things in the gym and getting better at them, even if it's clunky in the beginning, sets you up for a lot more resiliency in the long run than not addressing it at all. And so I do think that the argument still stands um, at, at the level one, which is taught all the time, that the least safe scenario that you can put yourself in is one of no physical capacity, no training, and no guidance on how to do these big compound functional movements. That's the mm -hmm. least safe approach if you're looking at it broadly. Yeah, you can't avoid picking things up and squatting, so you might as well know how to do it properly, learn the good right. technique, and strengthen the musculature required to do those things, because life will force exactly. you to. Yep. And sticking on this, before we get to the next one, to, to give people as many things as we can, you know, you mentioned, well, yes. So I'm going to say what's also, I think, often left out of this CrossFit encourages sloppy form, which is like one of the headlines that I saw. Mm -hmm. I would hit both sides of it here. One, I would say, the word encourages, I have an mm. issue with because it yeah. that removes personal responsibility from it. And now I can say, using myself as an example, if we go back, there's some video footage of myself and some other people working out in my garage in 2005 when we were just pulling things off the internet and trying to just beat each other in workouts with no idea what we're doing. <laughs> and we look despicable horrifically awful like we would make a, it was like a video of what you don't want to do and we did like mm. that for quite some time to be honest with you and we we're all fine but i look back at that now and say that wasn't CrossFit's fault that i moved that way that was me and mm. my knucklehead friends just deciding we're just going to do this thing 100 percent. we're brand new to it we've never really had any formal instruction let's go that's on me you know looking back Sure. So that so that could be my counter to CrossFit encourage a sloppy form. But then I could also make one more case as to playing devil's advocate as to why does it have some validity? Hmm. You know, the word encourages. It's like, well, that's maybe not a fair word. True, but then also a big part of CrossFit is the initial revelation that you know, like Greg, you say, men would die for points. People would die for mm -hmm. points in the gym. And so we're going to have this, this structure, this whiteboard. We're going to run the clock. And that is going to create this atmosphere of competition, which will make you move faster than potentially you did. So maybe in some way, it does encourage you trying to move a bit quicker than you should, because you know where you're going to end up on that whiteboard. And I'm going to try to go for it. That could be a devil's advocate to it right there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that there's a difference between the understanding that when you're pushing the margins of your capacity, that you're going to have this kind of dance between perfect execution and an acceptable degree of degradation. Um, 
being comfortable with that, I think, is a lot different than saying, I'm encouraging you to let technique go out the window and just do whatever it takes to get done. I don't mm-hmm. see that happening pretty reg- pretty often. Um, it's the opposite. It's, hey, I'm doing everything in my power that I can as the coach to remind you that you've got to keep some of these technical things in mind, despite the fact that you're tired, despite the fact that you want to beat Pat on the whiteboard, <laughs> despite right. the fact that you've got a PR in your mind that you're trying to uh, to, to battle against. Um so, yeah, I do think it's a bit of a difference there. Um, and I, I would say also that, you know, the zealots for perfect technique, uh, I don't think have the right approach in the same sense that if you don't think technique matters at all, it's probably not going to be really useful when you actually start training people. If you don't pay any attention to it whatsoever, you've got a real problem on your hands. You'll, you'll soon enough hit a wall where you just can't perform or you're inviting the door for more risk than is necessary. On the other hand, if all you're ever going to accept is that perfect repetition and you're never going to allow the foot off the brake until that happens, um, you're really stifling what people can and should be exposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you need to find that balance. And I think that's that necessary threshold that really is where the coach has to live. That's the art of it is how do you, how well can you navigate that? And it's true for just about anything that you want to learn. Um, you look at, I mean, we used to bring these discussion points up all the time in the level one, uh, learning to play a musical instrument, learning to drive a motor vehicle, um, you know, learning a second language doesn't really matter what it is, but in application, there's going to be this necessary tension between I know enough that I can try to do this thing and I have to push it far enough that that thing that I know, I start to bump up against where mm-hmm. I'm less capable. And it's just oscillating back and forth between those two things. And so, again, to ground it in coaching, it's like, all right, when I see somebody whose repetitions look flawless, the technique is looking good, my mind flips to, okay, now it's time to push this person to hang on to a couple more reps. Let's see mm-hmm. if you can get go a little faster. We see some of those basic techniques start to go away. My brain flips over, and now the cues are coming out in the form of let's get back to this ideal position, whatever that happens to be. And I'm dancing back and forth between those two things regularly. So you've, you've mentioned that obviously a critical, uh, critical individual in this process is the coach, right? And that's what yeah. referencing back to those, like I said, videos I have of myself in 2005 in my garage with my friends, we didn't have a coach. That person was, was not <laughs> yeah. there. And, and nor did yeah. we have something like this podcast, quite frankly, actually sure. arti- articulating more nuanced and giving context behind what seems to be a simple statement. You break down and I go, oh, got it. That's riding a line between technique and intensity. Oh, got it. Mechanics, yeah. consistency, intensity. I didn't have any of these resources. We just said, Let's try Elizabeth today. And, and that was basically, mm-hmm. you know, about it. So since you have hit the importance of the coach a couple of times, that leads very well into the next, you know, point that crossed my path all the time in my little internet search, which was CrossFit trainers, you know, you just said they're so mm. important, are not adequately qualified to coach people. Mm. I'm sure All you've right. heard that one before. And, <laughs> I and have, you know, yeah. and that one, <laughs> with, you know, with, we which, just... Which... <laughs> We just said how critically important they are, uh, of which yeah. I think there is no doubt. And then 
the classic thing, which Liz still lives, you know, very well as as a what does CrossFit do wrong thing is you're going to put people in these situations with you're going to have heavy days and you're going to do complicated things like ring muscle ups and handstand walks and, you know, bring your body up to a toes to bar. And you're going to try to learn a clean and jerk and a snatch. And the person who is doing this and shepherding these people just attended a two day seminar. And that mm. seems horrific and negligent and that shouldn't be the case hence you know why this pops up so frequently crossfit trainers are not adequately qualified to coach people yeah and again i mean if we look at that as a statement pretty difficult to take it at face value because which crossfit trainers are you talking about are you talking about the ones that you just mentioned okay we've done a level one course i spent two days uh getting uh kind of a a dunk in the deep end so to speak of the crossfit method and that's my only exposure. Yeah, you're right. You probably aren't in a place that you're ready to handle a big group class of mixed skill levels and, uh, you know, teaching these complicated movements in a really refined fashion. That's that's unlikely to happen. And that's no secret. That's that's something that's discussed at the level one, which is, which is hey, this is a jumping off point. This is not the end state. This is your bare minimum uh, level of knowledge that you need to be able to, to take the ball and run with it. So yeah, in that circumstance, if that's the, the person that you're talking about and referencing, I wouldn't say that they're unequipped to be able to start, but yeah, they probably have to have a pretty realistic view of what their skill set is at that time. Now, we take a different end of the coin and we say, all right, this is somebody who's done their level one and comma, they've owned their affiliate for a decade. They've had how many thousands of hours of training floor application where they're there day in, day out, week in, week out. They know their population. They've seen them come from their infancy stage all the way through to where some of these athletes have been with them for years now. Uh, that's a very different scenario where maybe that mm -hmm. athlete, or I'm sorry, maybe that trainer hasn't gotten a lot of um, quote unquote credentials behind their names beyond the level one or some of the other offerings that CrossFit might have. But they continue to refine their craft. They're doing it in a way that, uh, you know, obviously their business is successful enough that people keep coming back. That's not going to happen if you keep hurting people or you drive them away through a, a terrible program. Sooner or later, that that's going to dry up. Um, and so if you're trying to paint both of those scenarios with the same brush, I think you've got a pretty big uh, error on your hands. So. Mm -hmm. I guess it's just one of specificity. Um, is a two-day depth of knowledge enough to be the best coach that you can be? Absolutely not. Is it a valid starting point from which you can start to build your skill set? Yes, I believe so. And I think that's exactly what it's supposed to be, right? I mean, the, yeah. the, the level one, you could make it as a, as a pro or a con, but somewhat by design, it's a low barrier to entry you know, to, to give yeah. people the opportunity to get their feet wet and get out there. And then, you know, there's, it shouldn't be shocking that there is potentially a disconnect between what is said in real time at a level one seminar and what is on a potential blog post on Reddit. You know, there's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's made very clear in the level one setting is like, look, this is the beginning. This is right. not the end. I mean, from here, it's a launch pad. It's a launch pad. And now the mm -hmm. an ideal path would be 
that you don't go tomorrow, open up your affiliate and start your Olympic lifting bias training. It would be if you have a, a passion for coaching and you want to help people, well, now you need to go find some place where somebody can take you under your wing and you can be a new trainer that is the third trainer in the 5 p.m. class watching the two other more experienced trainers do their thing. And then you become more capable, more knowledge. You see more faults, you hear more cues, you know, and you just get better. And there's that inevitable learning process that has to take a very long period of time of just getting reps at whatever your craft happens to mm. be. You know, you're just day one of earning a credential. The very, in almost anything, the very next day, you probably wouldn't want to be that that first person's whatever, but somebody has to be. You know, there was a, I don't know what this has to do with anything, but it just popped into my head. <clears throat> in, a, in a life gone by, Adrian, I don't believe you know this about me. It was, <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, we're going a, deep. <laughs> it was a period of time after the Navy, uh, but before I started, like the next phase of my life, that I, I lived in Texas, I'm switching careers, doing all kinds of stuff. And well, I, I attended. About you. I attended and became a, a certified John Deere irrigation specialist, in, in which you know putting in sprinkler systems and things mm -hmm. like that, and learning about all the flows and pressures and all this kind of stuff. I think I barely passed the test, barely. And I'm here to tell you, but I was certified. <laughs> there <laughs> I'm was. To, yeah. I'm here to tell you if the next day I showed up at your property to install your sprinkler system, and that was the first one I've ever done. It might work. Um, there's probably, there's probably going to be some pressure issues and a little bit of a leak might spring up yeah. in the corner of the yard. And, uh, I really hope that I had a more experienced person there to show me that, ah, you shouldn't be using that sort of glue on that PVC pipe. That's not going to hold. I just, you know, I knew the bare minimum to start and that's mm -hmm. it. And it was so far away from any level of confident, uh, competence to be laughable. I, you know, there's few things that, that violate that just universal protocol and strength and conditioning yeah. and strength and conditioning is, is well, one of them. Let, let me ask you this in that scenario. If you, uh, do you feel that spending an extra six weeks, for example, hitting the books would have made a much larger tangible difference in that first day on the job? And I think that's what people don't want to discount. I, I, I'm anticipating what your answer might be, mm -hmm. but I am genuinely curious. Do you think more studiousness and, and book learning would have made the difference when you got out there on that first day? I think it probably in, in that situation would have made me more rock solid and confident in certain um, pressures and things of that nature, what size pump should go with this, but there would still be without question the inevitable terror and jitters associated with the first time my shovel actually hit real dirt to do the darn thing. And I would, mm -hmm. you know, that's, you just, until you do the darn thing, it's, you can't get it out of your system or become confident. So to some degree, I would just be delaying doing the darn thing. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point, more book knowledge wouldn't be needed. I need a certain level of book knowledge. And then I got to do, go do the darn thing. Yeah. Yep. I, I agree with that. So I think it's, you know, finding that balance. And for me personally, you know, I, I'm very much of the belief that uh, training, specifically in the gym training, is so low risk in in the scheme of things that people make such a mountain out of a molehill around it that it's, it's almost a, a little strange to me. And I'll phrase it this way, or, or can I put it back on you this way? So you, you 
told these great stories about the early days. It's you and a bunch of knuckleheads in the garage. You're goading each other on. Nobody's that concerned about technique. Now, somehow your body has survived. And here we are 17 years later. And it's a miracle of miracles. Uh, you still have a spine. <laughs> you're, right. you're still, you, you have, your, your joints haven't been ground into dust. Uh, there hasn't been any like life altering, um, crazy, crazy problems that seem to have arisen from that. Now, was it the most efficient way to go about your training? Hard to say, cause you can't go back and you can't run that experiment sure. again. Um, but point being is that somehow you managed to stave off some, some sort of catastrophe. And I don't think you're unique in that regard. I think that's just the nature of starting something. No, I agree. And I think the human body is luckily far more resilient than people give it credit for. And myself and yeah. every knucklehead that I know is, is living proof of that. I'm not saying it's optimal, yeah. but I'm saying. Or that you I, need I think, to test those limits. Yeah, but I think sometimes <laughs> right? people believe that one deviation from what is, let's just call it yeah. ideal technique. Uh, my back goes from arch to flat. I have an early arm pull on my power clean. Yeah. I'm suddenly going to tear my bicep. And I don't, I don't think that that is a true statement by a long shot, you know, that the, yeah. and thank goodness for that, quite frankly, or, or just regular life yeah. would, would be a series of horrific injuries to be absolutely honest with you. Cause I just go shopping at home Depot and watch people pick things up. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. Well, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you another one too, which, uh, it's a bit of a double standard and I'll be upfront that I'm a little ignorant cause I'm not a hundred percent on the specifications that other professions require, but I'll give you an e easy example. Um, mountain biking, it's a popular activity, a lot of risk involved in that. I would say way more so than any day at the gym. Um, oh, sure. Yeah. And I'm curious as to what it would take to become a mountain bike guide for a day. Like what kind of qualifications are required for that? Or how about a ski instructor? You know, that's again, a very dangerous activity. If you don't approach it with the respect that it's due again, I would argue it's way more dangerous than any day you're going to face in the gym on average. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but for whatever reason, those types of situations, those type of coaching applications, uh, don't seem to be met with the same degree of scrutiny. And it's a little bit weird in my opinion. Yeah, that's well, it, yeah, fair enough. There's a couple here that I feel are just almost so overplayed that if we get into a time crunch, we don't need to, to hit them, you know, but we, we'll, I'll, I'll take some more of the ones that I think have some, some more interesting ones. You know, for example, yeah. one of the ones I'm going to pass over right now is squatting below parallel is bad for your knees. Like it's, I, it's you, still out there. It still lives. I don't, I don't know how I don't, I actually don't yeah. even know how it still lives. It's um, crazy. You read that one and I, I, I just had to laugh. I was like, I, it's tw I can't believe that this is still a conversation that people right. have to so, have. <laughs> you know, I don't think anybody out there, you, you can do a little, yeah. I don't think you need a CrossFit expert to describe why that's sure. not true. Yeah. You can do a little bit of Google research and, and you'll be fine with that. But yeah, somehow it's still out there, but we'll, we'll bypass that for now. What about this one? This one is, this one is certainly still got some legs and people love it. Olympic lifts. Mm. should not be done for time it's an it's an inevitable disaster it should just be done for a heavy day and you know if you're doing something more than three reps you're in no way shape or form doing what that lift is intended to do and people are going to get hurt yeah i think that's uh very much in tandem with the first point which is you know crossfit encourages bad mm -hmm. technique 
I think the uh, high rep Olympic lifting is a is an easy example um, for people that believe that that is the case <clears throat> because yeah, there's a little bit more technique involved. It is going to be more subject to degradation when there is uh, fatigue building in things like that. If your technique's not solid initially, it's only going to go south in under those uh, conditions. So I think that's an easy target of that first point, really. Um, now, all that to say, should they not be? No, I, I think, again, it, the conditions matter. Is this something that's close to your one rep max and you're being asked to perform it for reps and reps and reps with little rest and other complex movements attached to it? Well, it's only a fraction of the population that's going to tolerate that well. Most people, it's not. It, you're just not going to be able to do it. Um, and so you have to ask yourself, what are the circumstances behind this? Um, and my brain goes to... Again, there's kind of a fuzzy logic where most people don't follow it all the way through. They'll take a look at something like Grace, 30 clean and jerks for time. That's what I had written down. I had Grace written yeah. down. <laughs> and they'll say, absolutely not. You shouldn't be doing 30 reps of an Olympic lift. And then they'll go and they'll see like a kettlebell clean and jerk being done for high repetitions and see no issue with it. And you're like, well, why? Because the tool is a little bit different. Why is that fundamentally so different? The movement patterns are more similar than they are different. Um, the loading on the body is more similar than it is different. And yet one gets a pass and the other one is just an absolute taboo. It's really strange. And so um, I think there's plenty of merit when it's done with the correct level of intensity to training full body explosive movements for reps. And I would say, you know, one of my classic things for that is, is, is let's say that Olympic lifts have their origin in what is traditionally testing for a one rep max on a platform in front of a stage. And the training traditionally does not involve high repetition at significantly lower lows or lower percentage based upon your one rep max, let alone holding on for touch and go and things of that nature. That's fine. Yeah. It's fine that it has its, its origins in that. It, it doesn't mean there's potentially, we have to be open to the fact that is there also another application of these mm -hmm. two movements that has benefit? And if, with as long as cross has been around and as widely fit as people are, are making it, I would find it hard to say that the answer to that is no. I think the problem or the hate comes in, like you said, getting back to that first point of CrossFit encourages sloppy form. I think if every time you saw a quote unquote CrossFitter doing Grace or Isabel or Isabel or whatnot, they looked as beautiful as like who's one of the most beautiful lifters? Ben Smith. They looked as beautiful as Ben Smith on every right. single lift. There wouldn't be a hateful blog anywhere because what could you possibly say? Is the, the the gentleman mm -hmm. moves like poetry in motion from one rep to another. So mm, okay, I guess it is okay. But what you see is getting back, you know, throw myself in the bus, myself and all my knucklehead friends, we upload our video to YouTube and say, <laughs> and say, Grace in the Sherwood garage, look at this. And people are like, oh my goodness, what are these people doing? That's not a clean and jerk. What is that? They're going to kill themselves. And you know what? That's not a terrible thing to say because it does look like hot garbage, you know? And so, and compared, compared to Ben Smith, and now here I am, you know, many, many, many years later with my knucklehead lessons learned under my belt. And, and now my, my simplified way of saying to somebody, whether you're doing a fast lift or a slow lift, whether you're doing a clean and jerk, a snatch, you know, Grace or Isabel, or you're doing a power lift, like a deadlift in Diane, or 
you're doing air squats or push-ups. I don't care what the movement is. Mm-hmm. And I don't care what the loading is. Don't do it faster than you can do it properly. I mean, that's it. And that's what I just didn't know in 2005. First of all, I didn't know when I was moving properly or improperly. I just didn't have technique nailed down at all. But then I can, if I take an honest assessment of myself, let's say that I did, I think I was still in an egotistical phase of my life where I just wanted to beat my buddies that even if I felt something degrade, I probably would have still kept going to try to beat so-and-so who's in the garage next to me. And again, whose fault is that? Is it the inventor of the Mm -hmm. clean and jerk? Is it the inventor of the clock? Is it the inventor of competition? Or is it I needed to be a bit more intelligent, a bit more secure, and a bit more sophisticated in my understanding of of what the methodology is and how to properly apply it and realize, ah, uh, you know, me slowing down a bit because this started to degrade a bit, tightening it back up is going to be honestly not going to do anything negative to my fitness in any way, shape, or form that I'm quote unquote slowing down, you know, and the clock Mm -hmm. continue to run, but actually quite the opposite. It's going to drive home proper movement patterns and, and, and how to move my body so that the load continues to go up and I continue to get faster and I'm training like this for decades and decades. It's, it's nothing but a good thing to do. I just didn't know what I didn't know, right? And yeah. so I think we just see people without the benefit of a coach, without the benefit of, again, what we hope to bring to people through these podcasts and conversations about how if we had a time machine, we would go back and do business as well. And you see, People like me and my buddies uploading something that by all accounts does not look good and you wouldn't want to replicate. And in the tagline, I say CrossFit and there it is, you know. And so I would say, again, Olympic lifts for time are not, in my opinion, an inevitable disaster. But I don't care what you're doing. Don't do it faster than you can do it correctly. And I also, Grace, to to bring this up, it it can look, the same workout can look different for two different people based upon where they are mm-hmm. in their fitness journey, they're both still doing grace. Maybe Dan Bailey has 135 in the bar, never lets go of it, and does 30 touch-and-go reps in just about 60 seconds, which is astonishing. And then grace for me looks like, hey, you know what? Uh, touch-and-go reps, they just don't feel good on my body. It doesn't feel mm-hmm. good to lower the weight down to the front rack and get it back down to my hips. It, it, it just feels bad. So I'm going to drop every single one from the top. And then you know what? I'm not anywhere near as fit as Dan Bailey. So I'm going to look at that bar for 10 seconds before I even think about picking it back up again. And my grace is going to take me, I don't know, five minutes. It took him one minute. It took me 500% longer than it took him. And that's okay. You know, like we're still doing, we're still doing grace. And both of us did it at a pace that was appropriate for our level of, of strength and conditioning. And Olympic lift or power lift. So I'd kind of just, I just kind of throw that out there to think about. Yeah. And, you know, as I think about this more, I, I think the most legitimate argument against high rep lifting is not that it shouldn't be done or that it's like some crime against humanity, but that there may be better ways to train similar attributes that don't rely so much on the technical aspects. You know, like, for example, like just a simple medicine ball throw repeated you might get the same kind of benefit of a total body coordination, um, repeated explosive effort, and it's less demand on being technically proficient with the barbell. And I think that that's fair enough. You can sure. make that argument. Sure. On the other hand, I would say that you know there is val- validity to practicing movements that demand coordination, accuracy, agility, 
balance, et cetera, uh, under fatiguing conditions. I think that the trade-off is anytime you try to simplify a movement and, and remove that element of it, well, you're not going to get that benefit anymore. And that sometimes goes overlooked, despite the fact that it seems to be a pretty obvious uh, trade-off. So you just have to ask yourself, what, what is important to me? Is it important that those attributes are included in the mix while I'm doing this kind of high rep explosive training? If yes, well then, hey, you know what? Olympic lifting is, is a good way to go about that. Granted, you have to approach it the way that, that you should. Um, yeah. We've got these next two. Let's see here. We've been, I don't know if we started exactly what I think we did. We might be going maybe about 40 minutes. So I'll try to keep okay. this not too much longer. <laughs> these, these next two, you know, people are always chomping at the bit for you and I to have a very polarized disagreement on something. Oh, good. Let's, let's do it. Maybe let's get into it. <laughs> if, if there's something, you know, but the funny thing is it's, and again, we don't artificially try to agree, but, but the truth is yeah. we've been doing the same methodology, traveling the same world for a long time that it's not, it's not astonishing that, um, you know, that our views are similar on things. It's, and hopefully people benefit from hearing maybe the way you dissect something versus the way I dissect something. But these next two, sure. we, we might have, we might have a little something. Let's see. This next one is that the GHD sit-up is destructive mm. to the back. What say you, sir? Uh, just on its face, like just that's it. Just that's, destructive. That's, uh, yes, destructive. <laughs> just, you know, just you one know, one rep. You can, and you even, can, not even once. And, and you can assume that what somebody I'm going to assume saw uh, was somebody doing uh, GHD sit-ups, maybe in a competition, maybe for time, maybe whatever. They're you know reaching back, their hands touch the ground, and somebody just looks at what they believe to be uh, the angle of the back or how much of an arc there is, and they're like, "Ooh, wow, crazy! That can't be good." You're you're whipping your back in and out of flexion and extension and doing it really fast. Nothing about that can be good for your spine, and hence you get the 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 you know, something found on the internet. The GHG sit-up is destructive to the back, and that's one of the big mm. problems with CrossFit. Yeah, wow. And uh, it, it, interesting if your critique of the whole method boils down to one piece of equipment and one movement on that piece of equipment. But that's neither here nor there. I, I will take the devil's advocate position and say that I could see the argument in the sense that I think this is pretty well studied in gymnasts. Gymnasts are one of, one of the athletes, I think, with the highest rate of cycling between a flexed and extended spine. That's something that happens over and over and over again in those particular sports. And particularly, I believe in young women who are doing gymnastics at a high level, there's a pretty high incidence of lower back problems that can result from that. And so if you were to extrapolate that and say, all right, a similar situation could occur on the GHD sit-up because this is rapid cycling between flexion and extension, I could see some validity in that. Um, to me, again, it all comes down to the devils in the details. Is this a movement where you are either actively on your own or being encouraged to by somebody who's a little bit misguided uh, into doing hundreds and hundreds of repetitions day in and day out? Or is this a movement that's being put in once in a while, being mixed into a well-thought-out program where the volume is taken into consideration uh, and it's not just a total grind every time you're exposed to it. I think those are two very different scenarios. Uh, in the same in the same vein, that we go back to our gymnastics athlete, 
and the injury that they occur incur from that kind of cycling back and forth, back and forth is one of overuse. It's not one of exposure. It's not mm-hmm. one that just because you got exposed to those positions, it's inherently dangerous. It's that you've been exposed to that position over and over and over and over and over again. And so you have to separate the two. You know, I when I see this, I think first and foremost, you have to have the GHG set up properly. And if you're not setting yeah. it up properly, yeah. you're going to be putting yourself in a funky position and try to overreach something. So you, you have to make sure that it's set up properly. I will also say, I think a potential problem is that everyone's built a little bit different with body mm-hmm. lengths, torso lengths, arm lengths, and not every GHD is the same distance from the floor and things of that nature. And so there's the potential that if you just have, and this is the, the difference between what you need to do in an environment of just working out for strength and conditioning and to make yourself better. And then and then some things had to get to some degree standardized because competition mm-hmm. came about. And now we need yep. to make sure that everyone's doing the same thing in all 10 lanes of the competition. Please, and we've said this before to everybody at home, don't let that cloud your vision of what you need to do yes. to make yourself wonderfully fit just because something had to be not artificially contrived, but had to be created to keep a competition regulated across everybody. Mm-hmm. That doesn't, that doesn't, you don't need to do that in your garage. And so myself, for example, as you well know, I've had a terrible overhead position. If you put me against a wall, put my heels, my butt, and my shoulders against the wall and ask me to raise my hands up over my head, they wouldn't even come anywhere close to the wall. They would be well out in front of my body. So now for, for me... <laughs> on a ghd to go all the way back and try to touch the floor <laughs> i'd have to break myself in half it though it's just not it's not going to happen you got to find that range somewhere else <laughs> right or you yeah. I'm gonna have to set yeah. up some weird thing where i've got like a mm-hmm. soft box behind me i touch something and oh i'm just not even going to do it so for i can't even remember to tell you the last time i did a ghd sit up and touch the floor um, mm-hmm. but i do them when they come up and i've done them for well over a decade now just to parallel and i'm mm. here to tell you I don't feel my fitness has been shortchanged in any way, shape, or form doing a GHD sit-up to parallel. You know, I'm not in a competition. I don't care if I touch the floor. I don't care at all. Every time I do the sit-up, I do it to parallel. And so I now have my own standard that every time my workout comes up, it is actually measurable, observable, and repeatable and, and seems to go just fine. So I don't have as much of a, an issue with the GHD sit-up as it appears that at least some negative articles on on the internet do as well. Again, I think like anything else, you can do it right or you can do it wrong. You can be ready for it. You can be not ready for it. The whole nine yards, have you built up a tolerance to it because it is potent? And I also think if mm. you had somebody on a GHD that was set up properly for them and they, you know, you filmed a video from the side of them doing a, you know, what every trainer would be like, yeah, good looking GHD sit up, rock on. And right when they got to the point where they touched the ground, you did a freeze frame and then you rotated it 90 degrees. So it looked like their feet Mm. were on the ground. I think what you would see in their upper body with their back, which is the angle that I think most of these negative um, articles tend to think is the big issue. I don't think you would find something outside the bounds of what would be a really big stretch first thing in the morning with like both hands Mm -hmm. up over your head. And just arching back as much as you can. Like, I, I think that's about like, it's, it's not a, and a degree that your spine cannot go in or doesn't go in. 
I think I think people go there, quite frankly, regularly. It's just, it is a powerful and potent movement that if you just hop on that thing and you're not ready for it, you start whipping yourself around and in on top of that, if you don't have the thing set up appropriately for yourself and you're trying to reach for something which is beyond what your limb length or whatnot, like, well, then I'm not shocked that things are going to go very poorly for you, quite frankly. But like mm-hmm. so many other things, um, done with skill, done with knowledge and done with care and done with a mechanics, consistency and intensity approach, I think I, I have a, a tough time finding something wrong with it. And again, if you're in a position like myself, I just go to parallel and going to parallel works just fine for me. Yeah, I'll double up on that and say that, you know, GHD sit-ups are one of those movements that I treat with a lot of respect. And I think a lot of people, because it, I don't know if it's because it's a body weight movement or because you look at some of the people that are really crazy fit and they can knock out a set of 50 without thinking about it. Mm-hmm. You, somehow you get it in your mind that it's no big deal and you should be able to just follow suit. Um and, uh, you know, I've been doing CrossFit a long time. I'm not at a, an elite level of fitness by anybody's stretch, but I do okay. And I will say that I still treat the GHD sit-up with a ton of respect when it comes up in a workout. And more often than not, I'm going to scale down the reps. I'm not going to try to be a hero about that particular movement because mm-hmm. I know that it's tough for me when I'm fatigued to really keep moving the way I'm supposed to. Now, back to the point about high rep uh, Olympic lifts and things like that. Yeah, that takes a while to develop that kind of self-knowledge. And hopefully you have somebody externally that can help coach you through that. But it's just one of those things that you have to take with a healthy grain of respect because it does demand a lot from you. It's a pretty high tension, dynamic movement that can be tricky. So it's it's one of those things where you just, you got to go into it knowing what it is and then treat it accordingly. Well, and the other thing I'll say kind of off topic, sorry to to keep keep going here is you know there's so many people doing ghd sit-ups now i think crossfit has kind of put that movement back on the map you know used to be uh the domain of pretty extreme uh kind of eastern block training systems and and like obscure bodybuilding positions and stuff like that um show me the injuries where are the injuries that people can point to acutely and say the ghd was what did it that's where it blew blew me out. I'm sure there are a couple, like there are with any movement or any mm-hmm. physical activity, but I don't. I haven't seen tons and tons of reports of people saying, "Man, I hopped on that GHD sit up and and there I was, just blasted from it." Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, sure, fair enough. Sure, overdoing it that way, <laughs> but uh, yeah, back injuries. I, I just haven't seen them. Give it back to the respect thing. I mean, whatever the years are from '05 to now, doing CrossFit. It, even when GHD sit-ups pop up is let's say there's three rounds of them in a workout and it's 30 reps per round. So there's going to be a 90 total, uh, depending on how I'm feeling that day, even after this many years of CrossFit, I might do one of those sets as ab mat sit-ups on the ground. Mm-hmm. You know, I might do the first two is 30 and then the last one, uh, the last one ab mat sit-ups on the ground, because I know if I do three sets of 30, that's going to change the course <laughs> of my next 72 hours of my life. I might not want to do that. Uh, yep. So yeah, they pack a punch. Mm-hmm. Okay, the next, the next one, classic. The sumo deadlift high pull. It will destroy your shoulders, and it's just a part of CrossFit because almost out of tradition. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. Yeah, oh man, so many ways my mind goes to kind of piggyback off of what I said before. Show, show it to me. I, I have, I've seen 
so many people do sumo deadlift high pulls. I've, they're, you know, maybe not the most popular movement. You don't see them as regularly these days as, as maybe you did in the earlier days. Uh, but again, there's still thousands of people doing them on a regular basis. And I have been hard pressed to ever hear of a single person, again, that experienced like an acute shoulder injury after doing a uh, sumo deadlift high pull. I just haven't heard it. So mm-hmm. that's, that's one thing that's a little bit strange. It's like after all this time, at least, you know, be able to point to a few cases where it's like, wow, he's doing a sumo deadlift high pull and then sprawling. There it was. I, I just haven't seen that. So kind of interesting. Um, and then on the other end of that, it's, it's kind of this weird piggyback from the high rep Olympic lifting. You have people that will argue the Olympic lifts are too much to do in their full capacity for reps. You should do something like a high pull. And they'll be totally okay with somebody doing high pulls for reps because it takes out some of the technical elements of the full lift. And then they'll see a sumo deadlift high pull and say, but not like that. Mm. That's destructive. But if I move my hands out a couple inches, now it's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's a little bit strange that, uh, you know, oftentimes these and I wonder if that's variations. The, I wonder if that's the, because it's now for reps and for time kind of a thing right are you saying that uh, that the high pull would be used in like a just a strength session in olympic lifting or are you saying sure, like an actual too. like workout gotcha. either I, i'm conflating a lot there like you know that's that's a admittedly that was a pretty complicated hypothetical because i'm arguing somebody's sure. train of thoughts two or three pieces removed sure. but but for both i think if you take the simple application of uh high pull is appropriate for strength training, but sumo deadlift high pull is not. Mm-hmm. And you match those two movements up again. Yeah. Okay. The details matter. Sure. Your hands are going to be a little closer together than they would be in a high pull. Um, but again, the angle's not so crazy that all of a sudden it's a completely different experience from, from the shoulder girdle. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a really strange one. That's one that, uh, Again, it just doesn't seem to bear out in real life. You don't see the reports of, of damage coming back. And number two, when faced with similar alternatives, they seem to get a pass. Yeah, that's, it's an interesting lift in the fact that I've got mixed feelings on it. And what I mean by mm-hmm. mixed feelings is with regards to, maybe this is an overly harsh criticism, utility. You know, so sure. I, I do fight combat. When I do fight combat, I do sumo deadlift high pulls, you know, because they're, mm-hmm. they're a part of fight combat and it's a great workout. And also, quite frankly, piggybacking what you said, I'm, I'm in full agreement with that. I don't find the movement injurious with all the, mm-hmm. I mean, the thousands and thousands of people that have crossed my path. Nothing has led me down the road of, of associating that with injury has not been my experience. If, if somebody knows somebody who has, again, there's sure. a lot of people that are doing it. I'm sure it has occurred, but that has not been my experience. So I don't label it as that. And when I'm programming workouts, there are possibilities of when I could potentially program a sumo high pull. And I usually don't. I'll usually program mm-hmm. in a power clean if I'm looking to get something from the ground to right around the collarbone front rack position. I put in the power clean because it's, you know, it's got some transference to where we might go overhead with it, to it plays well, it could go into a front squat, all these things. Where if you're doing a sumo of high pull, I'm just getting this barbell from the ground up to around the collarbone, getting it back down. You know, both that and the power clean have a wonderful corridor extremity, posterior chain, explosive hip opening, you know, legs and arms and all of that stuff. 
And I understand that the Sumodev of Hypo obviously doesn't have, I guess, if you want to call it the complexities of the front rack position and things like that involved with it. You could mm -hmm. potentially say it's a bit simpler there. But I wouldn't say it's wildly simpler, quite frankly. You know, I mean, you can mess up a sumo sure. high pole with a, you know, going too early with the arms, not fully opening this. You've got a quarter extremity violation, all the same things I'm going to see with a power clean. I just end in a front rack that that's my choice the majority of the time. And I probably only do the sumo of high pole again when when the fight gone bad workout comes around. And I like the power clean nine times out of 10 as well, because I feel like I have a bit more freedom with. I can almost load it as heavy as I want, quite frankly, you know, and then if, mm -hmm. it, if it goes south, you just receive it in a full clean, you know, right. And so that's, that's nice as well. So that would be my probably only counterpoint is I don't see it as injurious, but as somebody who programs a lot, uh, I, I give a tip of the cap quite for a lot to the power clean in those situations. Yeah. And I can agree with that. And I'll say that, you know, that's certainly not much of a go-to. Um, I do think it's a great way to teach the concept of generating power at the legs following through with the upper body in an appropriate in an appropriately timed coordinated effort i think that's uh the, mm -hmm. the real utility there but then i agree once you've got that it's almost like all right it's time to move on to bigger and better and that's where the clean comes in so yeah as far as a movement that i reach for I'm, I'm in the same boat i don't often reach for that movement so to speak when it's time to program workouts um, although I don't think it's a bad movement, it's just, just one of those ones that you just find yourself using less. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Again, you know? and I have not, I have not seen the injuries from it and I would, yeah. I would have no problem saying telling people if I did, because I wouldn't want people to get injured. Yeah, exactly. Um, yep. all right. Final two here, which I think we can get through in, in decent time. Are you doing okay right. for time? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. okay, here we go. CrossFit hurts your body because you need to push to your absolute limits. So you're, that's you know, the I, statement? I, that's the statement. So, you know, it hurts your body because you need to, because <laughs> okay. you need to push to your absolute limits. And I guess, you know, a lot of these are somewhat, you know, intertwined. So you don't have to spend too much time on one we've already hit, but I, I see this as, you know, people associate strength and conditioning with something which should make your body feel good and strengthen it. And then you're seeing these people go beyond their limits maybe the form starts mm. to break down drools flying out of their mouth and then you know prior to crossfit what workout regime did you see that had a, a barbell or something around it? and then the person when they're done lifting this barbell was laying on the ground hyperventilating they have to kick their shoes off because their legs feel like some weird things happening they're non-communicative they're you can't even have a conversation with them they're like whoa what are you doing? You pushed yourself well beyond your limits. That's not good for you. So cross is going to hurt your body because you push beyond your absolute limits. Man, this is a weird one. I mean, Inter well, the internet's not, a not, weird place, Adrian. Not to be pedantic about it, but if it's your absolute limit, you can't push beyond it. So that's a little bit goofy <laughs> <laughs> in, the, in the way it's phrased. Could be, there could be a wormhole uh, <laughs> or some sort of... <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, that's just kind of yep, yep. you know, being cheap and picking it apart. Um, I think, again, this is just filed under misapplication, whether intentional or not, surrounding the application of intensity. I agree. That's why I said uh, we, don't, we don't need to beat it to death, but it's, it's yeah, out. It's, I agree. It's really simple. It's, it's under it's, that hey, same look, umbrella. Yeah, if you want to continue to see improvement, you're going to have to push the threshold. 
that doesn't mean that you're going to have to run through the brick wall every single time, so to speak. And that's just a yep. misunderstanding of what's required if you believe that that's what's being asked of you. Yep. It goes back to that whole, don't do it faster than you can do it properly sort of yeah. thing. All right. Yep. And the final one, the exercises are too complicated for the average person. Oh, this is my favorite. This is my <laughs> absolute favorite. I just, I, you know, we were talking a little bit before we uh, hit record and I just think, man, what a dim view of the average person if you think that they can't pick up some of these basic movements. Um, and I, it's so strange to me. I, I get it. The snatch is complex. I get it. You know, a muscle up can be hard to figure out. Sure. I'm not discounting that and certainly not the work that people put in to being able to do those things well. Like people put a lot of time and effort into it and that's commendable. However, if those movements, which are kind of at the higher end of, of what's going to be asked of a CrossFitter, if that to you is just this peak of technical difficulty uh, and you don't think the average person can pick up on it, I, I just don't know what to tell you. There's so many more complex things out there, even on a recreational level, that people will engage with without a second thought. Um, for example, mountain biking we talked about, you know, like that's the very difficult thing to do technically well. Skiing, jujitsu, kayaking, tennis, mm -hmm. whatever. There's so many things out there that are going to have a much more nuanced technical demand than even some of these quote unquote technical movements in, in CrossFit. And yet I doubt anybody's going to balk at you saying as a middle-aged desk jockey, um, hey, you know what? I think I want to pick up, a, a, you know, pickleball or whatever it is. Sure. People say, great, have at it, have fun. You know, right. I, I just, man, what a dim view of the average person if you think that they're not able to pick up a clean. I mean, that's just, yeah, I, I just don't know where to start with that one. Right. To be honest. I, I don't, I, th I think it undershoots and it's, it's borderline insulting to the average person to say this is too complicated for the average person. I find the statement yeah. insulting. I can see where it comes from, right? Because you have to say, well, maybe not too complicated, but complicated compared to what? Complicated mm -hmm. compared to a, a concentration curl? Complicated compared to the pec deck? Complicated compared to a calf raise? Yes, absolutely. Sure. Like the complicated compared to the elliptical? Absolutely. Uh, but just because something's complicated, I think that word gets conflated and used in this sentence. You know, these exercises are too complicated for the average person, that it just means they're unattainable and impossible. Well, no, it just yeah. means that they're difficult mm -hmm. and it means that they're hard and it means that they're foreign and it means you might be uncomfortable learning them. But here's something people need to realize. All of those things are good for your body and your mind. It's good to be right. uncomfortable. It's good to mm -hmm. be pushed. It's good to do complicated things. It's good to mm -hmm. do hard things. And it's good to do things that are technically demanding because you have to have your brain connected to your body for a proper sequence of events that you don't have to do with quote unquote simple movements that aren't complicated. And those complicated movements, as we said on previous shows, reign supreme in developing those neurological components of mm -hmm. coordination, accuracy, agility, and balance that if you do buy the whole methodology are mission critical to you actually developing power and speed. And everybody wants to be a fast, powerful athlete and you're probably not going to be met with the level of success chasing that goal, not pursuing complicated movements than if you did pursue complicated movements. And so for all of those things, 
Yes, they're hard, they're complicated compared to what, but you're not looking to run on day one. It's a crawl, mm -hmm. walk, run approach. We got a long road ahead of us for a lifetime of health and fitness. And with mechanics, consistency, and intensity being your guide and understanding scaling and modifications and using assistance with bands and box, like the world is just full of wonderful, quote unquote, complicated movements that the quote unquote average person will do nothing but benefit from being exposed to. And so mm -hmm. I, I think that statement is not only it has to be framed and complicated compared to what, and then I do think it's just insulting to the average person. And I think it's, <laughs> I think it's, you know, another line that Greg used to say is that the difficulty exactly describes the need. And yeah. Because these movements are complicated, it means they're outside your wheelhouse, they're outside your comfortable bubble, and you got to like fight and struggle and really try hard. That exactly describes how much benefit you're going to get, not even from like utter and complete mastery, but just from beginning the learning mm -hmm. process, yes. your adaptation is going to skyrocket. And so those are the movements that done at the appropriate level should be warmly embraced by everybody, not shunned away. That's just my yeah. two cents on that. I totally agree. And I think that it's a kind of old bodybuilding logic that, hey, if you have somebody, let's say you have somebody you know, 60 years old, they haven't been particularly physical, they're going to have a difficult time learning the power clean, for example. That may be true. It may take them quite a while to get that sequence to a point that it feels comfortable mm. and they can do it without a lot of thought, etc. Okay, fine. To your point, the benefit that they're going to receive from doing that is not necessarily the absolute loading that they're experiencing or the stress on the tissues that, you know, in a muscular sense are being pushed, but that coordinated effort, that's the real benefit there. And then the muscular conditioning can be done through other means with movements that are a little bit simpler that can focus on that. That's fine. But there's a huge benefit to not nerfing the movement, so to speak, for the reasons that you stated. And, and again, I think it's uh, the wrapped in that argument is, okay, why would I bother with something complicated when I can get the same muscular result mm. with something simpler? And it's, okay, you might be right in that regard, but what is the trade-off and what are you sacrificing? And again, you take that, that, you know, PVC pipe or the open barbell and you're learning with that, you're right. You're not going to get a huge muscular response, but the neurological benefits are going to be pretty significant and they're going to be hard to replicate with other things. Mm -hmm. My friend, that was the last one. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I like I mean, it. And I just, I, I just, uh, man, just to park it on that one a little bit, not, and not to make it too broad, but geez, what a world when, uh, when the one of the top critiques is it's too complicated, therefore you shouldn't pursue it. It's like, man, what a, could you imagine if you extrapolated that out and that was your message to people just on a general basis? Hey, you know that degree, Pat, that you've really put a lot of work into? It's probably not worth it because it's so complicated. I don't know that that engineering uh, school is, is going to be actually applicable to anything. You'd be better off to just not. You're like, what, what, a, what a crazy piece of advice. I just, uh, yeah, I don't. Yes. I don't like that mindset at all. I could go down a path that deviates from fitness <laughs> of just of general people on planet Earth yeah. and the population yep. that I would like to be a part of on planet Earth and, and the population that I would like to be a part of. 
engages in doing hard, complicated tasks. Mm-hmm. And and I don't want to be a part of this like, ah, it's hard and complicated. Ah, phooey. Let's do something else. I, yeah. I don't I don't see that leading anywhere positive in the gym or outside the gym, personally. Yeah. So Yeah, absolutely. And not to say that hard and complicated is the only way it has to oh, be. Sure. But but man, eschewing that because uh, you just you probably won't be able to do it. Gosh, what a message. What a message to put out there to people. Yeah. So. No, I mean it just again, it's just yeah. Anyway, that's uh yeah, so the valuable path is usually a difficult path. It's it's, it's yeah. often how it is. So I hope people benefited from that. That was actually more fun than than I thought. So yeah. People are armed with some information to confront that. And it's funny, I hear some of those things, and again, I'm sure they came out because of somebody's experience. And mm-hmm. I always just used to think to myself, wow. I'm doing CrossFit. This person who wrote this blog article is also, I guess, doing CrossFit. How are two people having such a markedly different experience doing the same darn thing? I think a lot of it comes down to everything they always hit right there. It's not. It might not be the actual methodology. It might be your understanding and your application of certain principles and how you're diving headfirst into it. You know. And so hopefully this yeah. this is uh, helpful for people. So okay. That's that. As we say at the end of all these, thanks for watching or listening on all the associated podcast platforms or the BTWB YouTube channel. Please go there. Find this episode. There's a lot of, um, you know, uh, great clickbait topics in this show. So I'm sure people have opinions on them. Feel free to strongly agree or strongly disagree with everything that, that Adrian and I said. You know, whatever it happens to be, we want to hear from you. We don't censor any of those things. Just be kind and respectful to each other. and We'll all learn. If you'd like to help support the show, you can go into the show notes and there's a link in there to a bunch of programs that we're very proud of. It's programs.btwb.com slash VNR. And we got all kinds of cool cycles to help you get your first pull-up, handstand walk, kipping bar, muscle-up, barbell progressions, you name it. There's something for everybody, some on-ramps for body weight and dumbbell. So enjoy them. And of course, for Adrian Bosman, I'm Pat Sherwood, and we will see you next time.